It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, folks, this past Monday was Valentine's Day. And this year, I hope that you found somebody that loves you as much as the Carolina Hurricanes love to take stupid penalties. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Track and Storm podcast. I'm Brandon. That is Matt. And we are very excited to welcome prospect guru and NHL draft specialist at The Athletic. That is Scott Wheeler. So, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on here and talk to us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. You ranked the Hurricanes ninth in your prospect pool rankings, um, which is pretty impressive given the fact that, you know, their 2020 first-round picks are already in the NHL, and Mm -hmm. really they've been picking late for a while now. Um, And and I think kind of the knock on their system has been the lack of a star. But, you know, Seth Jarvis has kind of been that guy the last few years. So – do you think, you know, if Jarvis was still eligible for that ranking, how high would that have bumped them up this year? It would have bumped them up a few spots for sure. There was a clear kind of four to nine group in terms of where the 20, where the 32 teams slotted in this year. There was a clear top three and then kind of a, a, a really strong four to nine. And they would have been in that four to nine regardless. I don't think they would have broken in or divided themselves from that group. They wouldn't have been in the same tier as Buffalo, LA and Minnesota were, but they likely would have been at the front of that four to nine group rather than the back. So I think if Seth had been included, you probably could have expected them to be in that four, five, six range rather than the seven, eight, nine range. But part of that, it would have also been, I think, counterbalanced by, Hey, if, if Seth Jarvis is allowed to be included, then Does Trevor Zegras and Jamie Drysdale get included in Anaheim? That kind of a conversation starts to happen. And then suddenly Anaheim's back in front of them. So, uh, yeah, for for sure, a strong group, one of the deepest groups in the NHL. uh, And I'm sure we'll talk about it, but Carolina probably drafts closest in line with how I would draft as far as the 32 teams go. And I've said that repeatedly over the years. So big fan of, of what they've done with the group and how they've built it out. A couple of days ago, it was announced that Kane's second round pick, Peter Kochtakov, is finally, you know, making the trip to North America and yep. he's been assigned to Chicago. So what sort of impact do you expect that to have on not only just his development, but the Kane's pipeline as a whole? Well, I think it'll be good for him. It'll be good for him to just get over here and get sort of acclimated with the with the system, get involved with their goalie coaches, be more involved in terms of just everything that they're doing and everything they're building towards with that Chicago club. Uh, So yeah, I mean, unquestionably it's going to be good for him. I think it's also just stability. He's had a pretty winding career path, despite having great results everywhere he's ever played. 
it's been a little bit of a circuitous route for him in Russia. And he hasn't always had the, the sort of leeway or the opportunity that maybe he's owed based off of his skill and his performance. So now he gets to go into Chicago and I'm sure he's going to get that and earn that all over again and be, come the guy there and become a call-up option. And I think ultimately with Piotr, what you're hoping for long-term is that he can go from being a number three, four guy, which I think he's already capable of being right now to becoming probably never a true starter, but you're hoping that he can become a one B or at, at the very least a two. So uh, that that's kind of the outcome that I think they're angling for, for him. And I think that's a realistic outcome for him to strive for as well. And kind of building off of that, something I just thought of is, you know, they now have four goalies in Chicago with Alex yeah. Lyon, Itu Makiniemi, and, you know, Kachikov and Jack LaFontaine. So out of those four guys, you know, does Kachikov emerge as the guy moving forward? Well, I think he's the best prospect of those four. Um, I think he is the, the most legit sort of piece of the puzzle uh, in that group. Uh, certainly LaFontaine was tremendous a year ago, obviously sort of established himself as a legitimate prospect. This year has been a little bit more sort of up and down for him, uh, not just in Carolina and, and sort of the, some of the struggles he faced there, but also in college before he turned pro. So uh, I do think Kuchetkov is the the best of that bunch. And I think that will sort of show itself, if you will, over the course of the next year. But it's going to be a battle. They've got to figure out where he fits in. He also, I mean, they're, they're already familiar with those other guys, right? Those other guys are already settled into a groove and playing games. So uh, now he's got to, once he gets in and starts getting into that rotation, he's got to make the most of it. And I suspect that he will. I feel like it's probably a little bit unfair just because he's been out so long, especially this year. But a lot of people seem to have kind of soured on Ryan Suzuki. Um, But I don't think you're one of those people. You seem to still be pretty high on him. So could you just talk about what makes him stand out to you as, you know, a top prospect in the system? Yeah, I think Ryan's still got a lot to to work towards and build towards. He's a slick, slick player. Uh, obviously, the eyesight thing is something that's not going away. He's always going to have a little bit of a blind spot in his eye, and that impacts him out there now in a way that it obviously didn't use to pre-injury. But in saying that, he's still got the talent. I still see a kid who can really handle the puck. He's a beautiful skater. I think he still needs to learn to do a little bit less, if you will. He, he can try to do too much. He can try to hang onto the puck and sort of will plays into existence for himself. So he needs to pull back on that a little bit. But when he plays fast, when he makes quick decisions with the puck, his skill and his skating are allowed to take over. And I think he's a very entertaining, talented player. So it's complicated because they have a lot of depth in Carolina with the NHL club already. And they've got a lot of depth coming in terms of forwards who kind of look and play a similar style to Suzuki. So uh, he's going to have to earn it, but I I do still have belief that he can be a top nine contributing player who is on one of your power play units and, and making things happen offensively, even if he's not going to be a star per se. So uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Suzuki and his upside still. So in your rankings, you, you mentioned that you, you still were, you know, a believer in guys like Dominic Bach and Patrick Quistola who can be, I mean, honestly, some of the frust- most frustrating players to watch because you see all of the potential they have and then 
in Bach's case, he hasn't really been able to carve out a role in the AHL. And with Pistola's case, like he's finally getting power play minutes, but he's invisible at even strength this year. So what does the path forward look like for those guys and how can they figure out how to make more of an impact at the levels they're playing at? Well, it's a complicated path forward because it's not just those two guys, but I would probably add Noel Gundler to that list as well. All three of those kids are very polarizing prospects. They all, quite frankly, have a lot of similar attributes in terms of being clearly talented with the puck, having great shots. Uh, Certainly Puistol and Gundler in particular have sort of NHL level shots. Bach has shown it a little bit less consistent consistently. Bach's a very frustrating player. I think the other two have been victims of circumstance. They've been victims of perceptions that I don't think have always gotten them right. And then Bach's a different case for me. Bach is a very frustrating player. I have a tough time watching him often. Uh, He just is a kid who doesn't really seem to get it out there. Uh, And I, I think that's going to limit him from reaching his potential, which once upon a time looked legit and looked like he was going to be a guy in the NHL and looked like he could score goals and make plays and hang on to the puck. And he's shown that against his peers, but at the professional level, he has just never earned the respect of any coach he's virtually ever played for. So uh, it's, it's a difficult road at this point for Bach. Plus he's getting older. The other two kids, I still have hope Gunler in particular, I think is clearly the best of those three. I think he's going to be an NHL scorer. I think he's going to be on a top power play in the NHL. His shot is tremendous. Uh, and I think he's a better defensive player and a more complete player than he often gets credit for, quite honestly. And he's actually had some pretty strong defensive results if you look at his underlying numbers in Sweden. So Gunler's a kid who I'm still very fond of. I, I think he has first-round talent. Uh, and the other two are tricky because – they just don't seem to get the most out of themselves. I do think Puistola has a shot. He's still a bit of a long shot, if you will. Uh, But I do think he has a chance to, to carve out a niche, to establish himself, to become a top player in Finland, then become a top player in the AHL and just work his way towards a call up into a top nine scoring role. Uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting, but with the, the beauty of drafting that three guys like that is that if one of them hits, you're likely going to have a very dynamic off offensive player and you can feel comfortable with that player because even if you lost out on the other two you've still got a a strong piece of the puzzle who can put the puck in the net so I like going after players like that I like the risk and the measured sort of chance that you're taking on a player like that because if they don't work out so be it but if you draft a guy who's going to fill the bottom of your lineup and be a fourth line grinder instead and he doesn't work out you're in the same place and when they do work out the value that you're tapping into is significant so I think one of those guys will work out I think Gundler is certainly the most likely of the three to work out uh, but I like the gamble even if, even if they fail a player that I've I've grown to love this season and you know every time I've talked to people they really like him as well is uh, Alexander Nikishin. Um, you ranked him, I think it was 18th. Um, and could you talk about maybe a little bit about that ranking and also just kind of where he fits moving forward in a very deep blue line in Carolina? Yeah, this has been a great year for Nikishin. Obviously, uh, he's really taken steps forward. He's taken on greater minutes. He's been involved with the senior men's team for for Russia. So all of those things bode well for him. I think he's played well both domestically and internationally this season. Uh, the thing with Nikishin is that he kind of is what he is, and and he's a player who doesn't have 
a ton of offense to tap into. He's got a heavy shot. He's been using his heavy shot more this year, but other than taking a few steps across the line and sending a hard low shot through to the net, there just isn't a ton of offense to his game. And that's okay. Every team needs the big sort of defensively responsible player. And he does have some offense to his game. I actually argued throughout his draft year that his game offensively was underrated. He was actually quite a productive player in his MHL days briefly, and then earned a very early promotion into the KHL where it's much harder for young players to earn minutes and produce and play on the power play and all that. Uh, But he's just going to be a guy, I think, moving forward who you have to keep an eye on. And even if he becomes a third pairing piece, that's still value where they got him in the draft. So uh, it's been a really nice progression for him. He belongs in that sort of 10 to 17, 18 range where I had him in their pool. I don't think he's a true top prospect for them per se, but he's in that sort of B class of prospects of which Carolina has a ton. Um, So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm fond of him. Uh, Even if the ranking seems low, he's a kid that I still think has an opportunity to become a guy. We already kind of mentioned there's no like real top prospect in the system. Um, but if you had to choose and it could just be Moro who you ranked first, but who is, who do you expect to emerge as kind of the guy in the hurricane system? Well, I think Moro with the way that he's played this season has really turned some heads. If he's not the consensus number one guy, then he's definitely a consensus number two or number three guy in their pool. At this point, he's had one of, I mentioned this in the article, but he's had, if you were to count on two hands, then the players from the 217 or so picks that were made in last year's draft if you were to count on one hand that or two hands the players who've impressed the most relative to where they were drafted he's on that list like he has just been tremendous at UMass uh he's a dynamic offensive player he wants to take command of the game he wants to be in charge of the puck he wants to make plays uh and I think increasingly those defensemen are having more and more success in the NHL these days and I think he's got a really good opportunity potentially even after his sophomore year, after one more year in college to turn pro and, and become a guy. Uh, that's how talented he is. It may, that may still mean he spends his junior year there and he does three years instead of two, but I don't think he's going to finish college after a four year sort of time there anymore. And ultimately I, I do expect him to be a top four guy rather than a bottom four guy, if you will. So uh yeah, really fond of of Moro and just what he's become, how he's looked this season, the package. He's got size. He can make plays. So uh, a really exciting, exciting young player. Yeah, offensively, I think nobody's going to sit here and argue. I mean, he's got no business being in the NCAA if we're just looking at offense. It's just, you know, the defensive side of his game, that's very clearly not where it needs to be, you know? Um, but this, you know, this year, the Canes obviously don't have a first round pick. It's likely that, you know, if assuming they keep their second round pick, it's going to be in the back half of the second round, obviously, hopefully 64th overall. Um, so do you expect the pipeline to take a step back, even with the depth that the Canes have? Yeah, I think the simple answer has to be yes on that. You're already seeing players like Jack Drury sort of begin to work their way into the fold. So they're going to start to lose some names. Uh, They're not going to continue to draft nine, 10 guys in every draft and make good on all of their picks. There will be some misses and they're likely going to begin to move 
prospects in, in order to upgrade the roster and move picks in order to upgrade the roster. And the natural consequence of that is that it will begin to thin out over time as they push to be a contending team. Uh, but that's okay. They're, they're in a position of strength where even if they were to sell off some of their prospects, even if some of their prospects were to graduate, even if they were to trade a first round pick in an upcoming draft, none of those things are going to really, really hurt them, at least not in terms of falling into the bottom 10 pools in the league. They've, they've got such good depth there. We haven't even talked about Billy Koivinen and some of the other pieces, right? So uh, they've got great depth there. And even if they be, go from a top 10 uh, pool to a middle 10 pool, that, that's fine. If they end up in my ranking next year at 15, 16, 17th in the league, that's still a good place to be if you're a contending team. And most of the teams that are at the top of the league are in the 28, 29, 30, 31, 32 range in my prospect pool ranking. So they, they've done a good job building a strong contending organization and also keeping the cupboards relatively full. So that's a credit to the job they've done at the draft. And I suspect if they keep at it, they'll continue to find value at the draft. All right, so we'll move into some draft stuff now. So people kind of talked about last year's draft as being, you know, a weak draft. And some are kind of saying the same about this draft as well, actually. And, and I think it mainly is the top head, or the lack of like the stars at the top. But mm-hmm. what do you, you know, do you think there's actually such thing as a weak draft or is that just like a misconception? Well, I think it's definitely overstated. Uh, I think teams make bad decisions at the deadline oftentimes when they believe that a draft is weak by trading their assets to other teams and trading picks to other teams when they believe that a draft is weak. Uh, I think that waters down uh, sort of the scales tip at, at least a little sometimes to the wrong side of that equation. When the, the reality is that even in a weak draft, there are future stars. There are, there is typically depth into the forties or fifties on every team's board. Even if their total board only runs 80, 90 players deep instead of a hundred or 110 players deep there is still strength to find in some of those numbers. There's still value to tap in throughout the draft. There are still excellent players at the very top of every draft class. Even some of the drafts recently where we've seen the first or second overall picks struggle, like say when Nico Hichet and Nolan Patrick never really hit like you, like you'd expect a first or second overall pick uh, to hit. Even in those drafts, what did you get? You got a Kale McCarr. You got an Elias Pedersen. There, there was value elsewhere. You got guys like Nero Heishkinen. So I, I think it, that this draft is going to look like that potentially. Even if one of the players at the top, like a Shane Wright or a Brad Lambert, players who are starting to have questions asked of their ultimate upside, even if some of those guys don't hit, you're going to see other players hit. You're going to see a Logan Cooley. You're going to see a Simon Nemitz. You're going to see uh, potentially a Matt Savoy hit. So uh, at the end of the day, I, I think this is a weak draft. That's the reality of it. This is a below average draft, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sell assets for that reason because someone's going to take advantage of you. Someone's going to see that every other team in the league thinks it's a weak draft, and they're going to use that as an excuse to acquire as many picks in this draft as possible because then you, you're the team that's finding talent. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I still like this draft. My list, which released this week, my top 64 at midseason, uh, I could have made that list 70, 75, 76 players deep. There were 10 to 12 players that I left off of it that I quite like. So there are still going to be on my final top 100. There are still probably going to be 70 to 80 kids 
that I actually quite like. And that that's that's about normal. So um, in, in terms of the depth, it's not a terrible draft, but certainly the quality at the top. There's no Austin Matthews. There's no Connor McDavid. There's no there's not going to be a Kel McCarr or an Elias Pettersson that sneaks out of the top 10. Uh, it's it just that that's not going to to take place in this draft, I don't think. But the depth is still there. I still think there's value to be found in rounds one, two, maybe even round three. And kind of to your point, I mean, look what the Hurricanes did last year. They moved down from their late first round draft slot, ended up with Hamasami, Morrow, and Quivenin, who you just mentioned. Yeah. So despite that, maybe not. And it's hard to evaluate it after, you know, one year. It hasn't even been a full year yet. So it's hard to say what that draft is. But I think it's a pretty good example of what you were just talking about. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All three of those picks were, were sleuth little picks, although Paimo Salmi hasn't had a great year. But Right. His like team also sucks. Yeah. <laughs> As somebody who's watched, unfortunately, Asset since Lenny Killinen was drafted <laughs> by the Canes, I cannot stand the way they play. Yeah. Sticking with the theme of this upcoming draft, um, what to you makes Shane Wright the top player in it? Um, obviously, we know a player's point production doesn't necessarily correlate to how good they are, but some fans you know, aren't really familiar with draft prospects in this market. So just speak to him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Shane, it's been a tricky thing this year because he had this brilliant 15-year-old season as an exceptional status player into the OHL. He produced at the same level that Connor McDavid did at the same age. Everybody got a, a little too excited over his production in that first year and started making comparisons that weren't fair to him because he was never going to have the dynamic quality that someone like McDavid obviously has. So all of that was a part of the equation. Then he loses last year doesn't get to play other than U18s, is tremendous at U18s, one of the best players, one of the leading scorers at U18s, Canada's best forward, arguably, along with Connor Bedard. Uh, So he was tremendous at U18s after not playing, but really hadn't played in a year, and then came back this year, and it was a little slow out of the gate for him. He didn't produce like he was expected to. He was hovering just above a point per game, and that's not what you look for in a first overall pick, typically. And then suddenly people are asking questions. Is he a disappointment? Blah, 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 right? Um, but I think ultimately Shane is a tremendous player. He's got an NHL shot, that's for sure. He can really shoot it. He's a boxy kid. He, if you meet him in person, he's got very sort of square shoulders, athletic, wide base to his stride, doesn't get pushed off the puck easily can play in the middle of the ice, plays a premium position, excellent two-way value, and then has skill. And I think recent of late, we've begun to see it more consistently. He's made a couple of really creative kind of blind behind-the-back passes recently. He, his shot is really finding the back of the net recently. And suddenly he's beginning to play at that sort of 1.75 points per game that you do expect out of a first overall pick rather than the 1.2 points per game per se that he was clicking at in the early goings of the season. So I still like Shane as the best player in this draft. I think he's going to be a top six center in the NHL, which you're not, I'm not comfortable saying about many players in this draft. And even if he doesn't become an 80 point guy that maybe teams hope for when they tank for a season and get the first overall pick, I still think you're going to see him become a 65, 70 point guy and those players, when they also have defensive value and when they're also centers, but that's top of the lineup player. That's a $9 million player in today's NHL. So uh, I still expect Shane to be a top, top player for whatever team drafts him. 
but he may not put the, the reality is he may not put up the flashy stats that you hope for when you draft first overall. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it kind of seems like it's going to be one of those years where you kind of mentioned like the Nico Heischer, Nolan Patrick draft where, you know, maybe the top two guys don't end up being the best players drafted in this draft. And that's fine. You know, in my opinion, it makes it a little more interesting. Agreed. Agreed. And we've got a draft around the corner in 2023 where I can, I can promise you that the top two players will hit. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. 2023 is going to be a, a banger of a draft. It's oh, going to yeah. be so much fun. Yeah. Um, I'm honestly more excited for, for that one, just because I get to talk about Connor Bedard. Yes. It's uh, I released my, my first look, I do five draft rankings in the lead up to every draft. And my first one typically lands in February of the year prior. So I released kind of a way too early look at the top prospects for 2023 today. Uh, and I was, I joked in the intro that it began as a 23 to watch for 2023 thing, because I'm a sucker for symmetry. And then suddenly it was 26 players long instead of 23 players long, because there's just so much talent. Uh, and it's it's really not just Bedard and Michkov in that draft. You're, you're going to have more than 10 stars, I think, at the top. Teams that are drafting in that 10, 11, 12, 13 range are going to be thrilled <laughs> with who they get. Uh, and then right into the late first round, I think you're going to have impact guys. So it, it's an exciting group. Is it on the same level as like 2015? Yeah, I, I would argue. I mean, it'll be the t- 10th draft that I've scouted this year's 2022 class is the ninth. So I started in 2014 scouting uh, full time. And I would say that it's arguably the best draft I've scouted in 10 years and certainly the best outside of, of 2015. At least that's how it's shaping up to be, but it's hard to contend with 2015. That 1997 age group was, was special. So kind of going back, bringing it back to this year's draft class a little bit, you know, my role this year has been, just focused on the WHL and you know this year it seems like there's there's three teams that could have you know upwards of three to four maybe even in some cases five players selected like Winnipeg Kamloops and Swift Current are the three that come to mind so which which of those teams do you expect to have the most players selected from them and do you think it's do you think Winnipeg's going to end up having the best draft class just because of Savoy and Geeky? I think the simple answer is Winnipeg on both fronts. Yeah. Uh, and not just because of Savoy and Geeky. I think you'll see Mikey Milne get drafted as an overager as well. Right. So uh, that is a very, very entertaining team. Probably the most, the, the must watch team for me uh, in junior hockey this year. Uh, and that's not a knock on Kingston who I've watched a lot. That's not a knock on Regina who, despite having virtually nobody of interest to watch, I still watch almost every game because of Connor. Um, that's not a knock on the Edmonton oil Kings who are certainly one of the most stacked teams or St. John who is hosting the Memorial cup this year and have like eight NHL drafted prospects now. So um, yeah, there, there, there are some really compelling teams, but certainly I think Winnipeg is the most exciting. That offense is unbelievable especially when they're healthy. They still haven't really been fully healthy as a team. They've got Zach Benson, who's going to be a top 10 pick in next year's draft in 2023. One of those stars that I talked about, uh, who may be an even better prospect than both Kiki and Savoy. Carson Lambos is tremendous. Connor McLennan was obviously a top two pick into the WHL and is a star at that level, even if he never becomes a player for the Flyers. So uh, yeah, that team, that Winnipeg team is is a ton of fun to watch. I find myself circling back to them 
if not every week, then every couple of weeks for at least one viewing. So the final question we have for you about the 2022 draft, and the, it seems like it happens at least once every year, right? Where the Hurricanes select one player that makes at least a handful of hockey Twitter tweet. Well, of course, the Hurricanes drafted blank. Yeah. So who is that player this year and why? Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, I could see them drafting Samish Casey out of the National Development Program. He's a kid who fits in big time with the kind of players that they draft on the blue line. I could see them drafting a kid like Lane Hudson, uh, who is also with the National Development Program. Lane is a five foot eight defender, and that just strikes me as a very Carolina Hurricanes pick. Obviously, they've already gone down that path with Dom Fensori, who I'm also a big fan of. Uh, and Hudson, I think, is a much better prospect at the same age than Fensori was. And I was a big fan of Fensori at the program as well. So those are probably the two first names that that immediately pop into my mind in terms of players who play their style. Hudson's footwork, his ability to handle the puck. He's got edges like Kaimo Salmi does, where he's just so effortless. Uh, the only other players other than Haimo Salmi and and Hudson who really can can cross over like that and balance on their edges like they do are probably Olin Zellweger, who is a, obviously an Anaheim Ducks prospect, um, and really maybe Ethan Edwards, the Devils prospect, who's at uh, the University of Michigan. He's got tremendous edges. Uh, but yeah, Hudson's edges, despite his size, they have not shied away from taking smaller players, even beyond Fensori. I mean, Zion Niebeck, you, you go down the list. They, 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 they want talent. They want kids who can skate. They want kids who can play the game. And I think Hudson just fits all of those boxes. He's a kid who just, despite being small, defends so well, always has the puck, is easily one of the most intelligent players in the draft. Um, so all of that. And then Casey's kind of fits into that same mold, just a fluid, the game kind of flows through him kind of defender. And the, the Carolina hurricanes are definitely drawn to those flowing sort of easy, the natural defenders who just make everything look so efficient out there. Um, so those are, those are probably frankly, the two kids that I could see them targeting. All right. Well, I think that's about all we got for you. Um, if you haven't checked out Scott Wheeler before, he is the NHL draft and prospect writer at The Athletic. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to jump on here and talk with us a little bit. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Good luck with the uh, newborn, right? Yeah, I got a newborn and we're in the middle of a move here. So it's right. Right. No, it's been busy for you. So no, we, we appreciate, you appreciate you taking the time for time. this, though. Yeah, um, no, no problem. I'm happy to do this anytime. So some, some really good insights on not only just the Canes prospects, but some stuff to be, or some stuff to look forward to for the upcoming draft. Cause even though the Canes won't have a pick until, I mean, we hope the late second round, you know, it, it's still, the draft is always such an exciting time because it, it is the future of the NHL and there's going to be a handful of players drafted this year that are going to go right to the NHL. I think in my opinion, at least. Yeah. I mean, not everybody's as big on the draft and stuff as we are, but it's definitely cool to get some insights from, you know, a national person like him. (laughs) It's also a different Um, perspective because like, you know, the national writers have a totally different perspective because they're tuned into, you know, more than just Kane's prospects, right? Yeah. See, I don't watch like (laughs) other teams prospects. So I guess it's better to have somebody who can kind of compare and know like what's going on elsewhere 
and we're not yeah. just watching like our guys and being like, oh yeah, this guy's so good when really he's not doing anything special compared to, you know, another team's 20th ranked prospect. <laughs> I know. Well, it, it, it's crazy because like, you know, during the draft year, I'll watch like a handful of guys to get, you know, an idea. And I mean, obviously this year I've been more tuned in just with the work I've been doing, but, you know, after the draft, the rest of that draft class that the Canes didn't pick was pretty much just dead to me. Like, I don't know anything about those players. I don't know anything about their development unless they play on the same team as a Canes prospect. So, you know, it's always cool hearing like a different perspective and seeing like, well, the Canes have these many players and, you know, all the, all the, just the detail that goes into it's really fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah, before we jump into anything else, the Track of the Storm podcast is a proud part of the Hockey Podcast Network. So we're going to take a minute and get a quick word from DraftKings. Basketball fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill dunk good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team to win, and get $150 in free bets when they do. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 and up. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line at 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK at 467-369. And we're back. And we're back. So yes, last night we were both in attendance. I was sitting in the fifth row. It was pretty cool. I also was in a box seat for just like a little bit. But One of my buddies from, uh, you know, my bar job was down there. So got to hang out up there for a little bit, which was cool. Um, It was ugly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm gonna start with that um the hurricanes have now lost four out of their last five games they had the six nothing beat down of the boston bruins and they have played like crap otherwise for weeks now since before the all-star break which is what i've been arguing like those two to one wins against new jersey and san jose were not hurricanes hockey they run home ice and got outshot by both those teams before that i don't think the ottawa game was very good even though they won so they were getting results, but the habits were just ugly, ugly, ugly. And now they're getting really dominated by Florida on their home ice again. They get a glimmer of hope late when that D'Angelo shot bounces in, get a you know lucky bounce. And then they just – they were playing not to lose. There was no attack. There was no, like, pushing for the next goal. It was sitting back and trying to defend like hell. And against a lethal team like the Florida Panthers, that is incredibly stupid. I mean, the Canes were doing that all night. That's the thing is they they were doing it all night uh, where Florida's I didn't think the first period was bad. The first period was really good. The Canes, the 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 five-on-three was awful. But the Canes had, you know, they stuck to their game and were playing well. And then Florida came out you know, guns blazing in the second period. And it was all Florida after that. Um, 
the Canes were lucky to get out of that second period, you know, tied. And the third period was some of the ugliest hockey I think I've seen all year from the Canes. Um, again, they were that, that lucky bounce from D'Angelo. And then they, they went into a shell, but I, I, I wouldn't even say they went into a shell. It's just, they didn't get any momentum. And, you know, part, part of the reason why the Canes weren't allowed to get momentum. And it's something, you know, I've talked about for a while now. It's the fucking penalties that this team takes, man. Yeah. Like Ian Cole took two boneheaded penalties last night. Like Florida credit to them. They were in the Canes heads last night. And honestly, it was, I mean, they took those penalties and you can't get any sort of momentum going at even strength when you're, when you're in the box, you know, for what, 10 minutes a night, maybe even longer. Yeah. The Canes took, I want to say like five or six penalties last night. Yeah, they took five. And it was, and then there was the four on four. So it had, so there was, you know, six. Right. Yeah, Yeah. With that too. So you can't get any sort of momentum going at even strength. And I mean, that's part of the reason you allow Florida to get back into the game. They're going to do it. And we saw it with against Toronto, right? You give three straight power play opportunities, and that's the number one ranked team in the league in terms of power play percentage. They're going to score on one. doesn't matter how good your penalty kill is. Right. So even though the Canes penalty kill is great, which again, credit to the Canes, it's been great this year. The problem is it messes up your rhythm. You give the other team momentum because they have a power play. The Canes power play sucked last night. All of a sudden, Florida has all the momentum. You lose in overtime 3-2. Right. Yeah, after they scored that tying goal, I was like trying to leave because that game ended. But yeah, it's and I saw a few people blaming Natchez for it. I, I don't think you can. Yeah, he lost his man, but the problem is like you're there there's always gonna be one person open. And it was a tough bounce off of a Florida player in front that left somebody wide open, right? Right. So, you know. I think it was a team effort. I thought Natchez had a good first period. Um, that pass to Huberdeau for like a almost yeah. breakaway. There's just there's I I think I, I noticed like Jarvis noticeably struggled last night. Yeah, um, I think he's hit a little bit of a wall. And you know he he's good, he's a good enough player to get past that. I'm not, I'm not panicking. I'm not you know trying no, to say. Not. I'm not trying to. Uh, you know, argue that Jarvis should be sent down or whatever. Right. Like I'm more just saying like he's struggling lately and you know, that's, that's part of the reason I think the team has struggled because they've lost now one of their top scorers. Right. And yeah, the depth, like the depth scoring is just kind of dried up last night. I think, I mean, granted we did get a primary assist from Jordan Stahl, which was nice. We did get, um, I mean, the top line produced again, right? Yeah. I think just what the Canes need very clearly is they need better help on defense in some capacity, and they need to add another scorer. I agree. And I think it's going to be tough to add both those pieces. They're going to have to send out some salary. but And I saw somebody like last night trying to advocate for trading Natchez, and I I, can we just stop, please? Like (laughs) – we, what, what happened to Sveshnikov last year? Sveshnikov had a terrible year last year. He had, as I've said many times, the one-year delayed sophomore slump. What is Natchez having right now? 
The exact if same. Anything, if anything, it's helping the Canes because it's lowering his dollar value right. for his yeah. next contract. Yeah. Um, and and again, if you, tr- I, I, Brandon and I were talking about this before the podcast. If you trade Natchez, the only way you're going to win that trade is if you acquire like a bona fide top six star. Because that's what cup. he's going to be, dude. Exactly. Like, he's still going to be that with his speed and playmaking and sh- like underrated shot. Like he's got the total package offensively. And, and it can't so be a fast. rental. That's the other thing. It can't huh? be a rental. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into our uh, trade of the weeks here. Armchair GM of the week here in a second. And we'll talk some more about that part. Actually. I was going to say, do you want to just go into that right now? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's this go is... into that actually. It's a very good segue. Brandon, I, you sent me this. And I thought the one that I had was bad this week. Why don't you go ahead and read yours? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's pretty funny. All right. Um, I, <laughs> this is a mouthful, so just bear with me here. So I found this one. It was published 13 hours ago on Cap Friendly, the trade machine, um, by a Devils fan don't really know why a Devils fan is making a Flyers and Hurricanes trade, but that's okay. We'll let them do it. So the Hurricanes would be trading Jake Gardner, so getting rid of their long-term major reserve cap space, okay? Stephen Lawrence, Martin Natchez, Jack Drury, Alexi Haimasami, a 2022 second, and a 2023 first. And I know what you're thinking. What are they getting Konechny and Giroux and basically every other player on that roster? No, they are getting Giroux, but then they're getting Adam Clendenning, Connor Bunneman, Isaac Ratcliffe, decent young player who's got some upside, and Ollie Lightsell, who I've never heard of in my life. What the hell is that? Yeah, that's bad. Um, so you're trading effectively Natchez for Giroux which is a dumb idea yeah uh, I I don't understand that at all Um, look at those picks and like top prospects like you're getting rid of you're trading Hamasami which like you know Hamasami down here like Scott just said a few minutes ago and but he's still got like a lot in his toolkit that you know he's a young defenseman he's really young for his draft class like if I think if he was born like a couple weeks later he would have been a 2020 or uh, up this upcoming draft yeah and you're acquiring a guy who's just kind of eh, in the shl at his age he's 22 um and it's just it makes no sense for the canes to make this trade i don't like isaac ratcliffe as a prospect i don't think he's an nhl player adam clendenning sucks (laughs) connor bunneman is basically just an like he may, I think he made his NHL debut this year, but it's because the Flyers suck. He's mostly an AHL guy. So you're getting two AHL level players for depth. You're getting Claude Giroux and you're getting two, I'd say C level prospects for and you're giving up your top draft pick this year and next year, which is a super grid, like a really, really good draft. You're giving up arguably a top three to top five prospect in your system. You're giving up another you know, 10 to 15 prospect in this system. You're giving up a guy who's playing on your fourth line and a top six forward on your team for Claude Giroux. That's 
awful. I have something that's still bad, but not as bad. Um, this week for my cat-friendly armchair GM. So the team explanation for this one is that the team's goals going into the deadline are to grab a 4-5-D. Okay, I can agree with that. Get a middle six winger. All right. Get a bottom six winger. Sure. And move money to try and make it work without destroying the team chemistry. Okay. Okay. Do they need another bottom six winger though? I think it wouldn't hurt. Huh? If, if you can upgrade, sure. Cause you're going to have to move money out. Right. So if you can like upgrade on like a Martinook or step on, sure. Why not? Yeah. I do so like the first it. trade is actually one that I would love for the Canes, but that I think the other team says no to because they're getting like nothing in return. Absolutely. So this is Carolina and Anaheim trading. So Carolina receives Josh Manson with just over 2 million retained and Ricard Raquel with just under 2 million retained in exchange for Ethan Bear, Stelio Mateos, and a second round pick. Yeah, I don't think, I think Josh Manson, adding Ricard Raquel makes this trade not work because Josh Manson for Bear, Mateos, and a second, I mean, you could make an argument for that. I don't know how good of an argument you could make for it, but adding Ricard Raquel, who's a solid, you know, middle six winger, that's a tough sell. And I think Anaheim with their young core isn't going to look to blow it up too much. Right. Right. They're a team that's very close. Like they're kind of on the, in the same level of LA where a lot of their young guys are starting to get to the, you know, the NHL and eventually it's going to be, you know, a big deal. The next trade, which is just awful <laughs> is Brandon Hagel getting traded to Carolina in exchange for Steven Lawrence Ryan Suzuki and a first round pick. <laughs> I like Hagel. He's speedy and he's really physical, but like, no. And he adds some offense. Yeah. But the problem is a first round pick and Ryan Suzuki is just ridiculous. Yeah, for a third at best, probably fourth line player. Yeah. And Hagel. He does got 14 now. goals this year. I didn't know that. He does, but I think it's because he has to play up in the lineup. Yeah. And that, that's what always worries me. It's like when you look at these stats, you're not seeing where these players are actually playing. Hagel's very cheap, though, and he's under contract for the next two years, which, I mean, he does seem like a player the Canes could look to acquire, I think. The problem is that's a lot to give up for a bottom six winger, you know? Yeah. And the next trade <laughs> is between the Hurricanes and the Coyotes. And I don't know if this person is a Carolina Hurricanes fan. Uh, It looks like they are. Um, The Carolina Hurricanes receive Ryan Dezingle with 200,000 retained, which at that point, why? (laughs) For Derek Stepan in the sixth round pick. And as we've seen, Stepan's having a great year. And Ryan Dezingle did not fit the Canes system at all and was quite frankly bad as a Hurricane. Yeah, he hasn't done anything for Arizona either. This is one of those trades where it just makes me go like, why? Like, why even do this? Because Dezingle didn't work as a cane and Stepan's been very good. So, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and this was your trade deadline, I'd love to hear your rationale for bringing Ryan Dezingle back other than points equals good. He he doesn't have any points. I know. (laughs) Whatever. But he had that one good season in Ottawa, Brandon. Yeah. Okay. In 2018. 
Yes. Great. I'm aware. <laughs> Since then, he's got, let's see, 10, 20 goals in four se- or three seasons. 75, well, real quick, 130 games. He's got 20 goals. <laughs> yeah. Real quick, I think before we wrap up this week, I, I do want to give a quick shout out to Dom Fensori for Prospect of the Week. He, uh, you know, obviously won the bean pot, had the secondary assist on the only goal in that game, and just has been playing really, really well as of late. So shout outs to him. Congrats on the title of Prospect of the Week. Yeah. Cool. Fensori, super fun. Hope he, uh, makes his way to the NHL because he will be a lot of fun to watch as a power play quarterback and just swift skating little ball of energy and funness. He is so much fun. But folks, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. We're trying to keep it a little short because we are recording on Thursday afternoon here. We want to get it out to you guys, hopefully, you know, by Friday. But as always, we want to thank you for your time. Want to thank you guys for, again, this is starting off season two of the track in the storm podcast with a bang and as always it's a great time to be a carolina hurricanes fan <laughs>